the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Welcome in to the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame. Eric Scopel is on the show as always. And today is Wednesday. That means we are opening up the mailbag and we are answering the six best questions that have been submitted to Eric over the course of the last week. We got a wide range of football. We've got some good recruiting discussion. Uh, we've got a lot, even some basketball. People are forgetting now basketball starts in about a month. Uh, it's going to be wild. It's going to be weird. Uh, both seasons going on really in their infancy at the exact same time. So uh, we're knee deep in football right now. Football is back uh, from their, I guess, two day break from COVID uh, and having to quarantine and, and contact trace because of five positive tests, but they are back. We have more football questions. Then uh, we spoke with Mario Cristobal yesterday. And before we dive into the mailbag, I want to re- remind everyone that we are offering 50% off an annual VIP membership for $53 and 70 cents. You get inside scoop expert analysis, read all the content across the 24 seven sports network for $53 and 70 cents, one-time payment for the next 12 months from the date that you sign up. So you get all of this season for football. You get all of basketball season. You get the recruiting run that Oregon is on right now for both football and basketball. And then you also get most of the 2021 football season. Uh, if you remember, it's it's October uh, 28th right now. And Oregon and the rest of the college football landscape is supposed to start football on time next year in 2021. So you're going to guarantee yourself most of the 2021 football season as well. So highly encourage you guys to jump up on that membership today. All right, Eric, we've got six questions. Let's, let's start with question number one. All right. First question from at quack rock one, no idea if we're even in contact with Ishmael Sopsher but I would take him and JTT to round out the class in a heartbeat. What say you? Um, Shopshire, by the way, we should note, just announced a transfer from Alabama, a five-star recruit um, in the last class, a big-time player that Oregon was, I think, in on a little bit, but right. never really materialized. Uh, Matt, what do you think about that? I mean, is that, is that a prospect that Duck fans should even know right now, or, or kind of what's your stance on him? I don't think you – you don't take Sosfer right now just because um, – you need to know if you can get JT. You need to know if you can get Bryce Foster. You need to know if you can get Corey Foreman. You need to know if you can get Sierra Wright. Um, I, I think Oregon's defensive line is in a position right now where, yes, Sosser is a talented dude, an immensely talented dude. But you're involved with two other five stars in the 2021 class that are going to be younger than he is, that can play before he can play can make an impact quicker than he can he can make at Oregon. And while you never want to turn down elite talent, you're in a position where you can get guys that are just as good, if not better than he is. And those guys can play right away. And so I wouldn't, I would, I would recruit and go after Corey Foreman and JTT until you know that either of those guys are coming to Oregon, then see if you can get softer. Is there any interest in softer? There's some, um, but I don't think right now today, we can say that, you know, Oregon's like, 
all in on him and, and, and pushing all their chips into the table and, and using all their resources possible from a time commitment, you know, creating edits, uh, you know, having coaches get them on virtual calls and whatnot and, and devoting the full scope of a recruiting process into him right now. I mean, yeah, I, do, I, is it, is there, is it like, do you really think like, do you think there's a need for this right now? No, I mean, not, not entirely. And like, in theory, I look at him and say, you know, he's listed at like six four three forty. Similar to a little bit similar size to Jordan Scott, a little taller. Um, maybe that's a natural replacement there. I, I, I think where I almost like, I, like if he's the best version of himself, and this is the player that we saw on tape. And if you went and watched, I mean, the guy was really impressive out of high school in 2019 in Louisiana. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm a little hesitant here too, just because he left so quickly. Um, and you know, I, I know Alabama is extremely competitive, and they're going to have immense talent there. And he probably saw the writing on the wall about playing time. But part of me just gets, I, I don't know. Sometimes with these transfers like this, and I know Oregon just took Devin Williams, and, and we think that's going to work out, and we've heard some positive recently uh, about how Devin's progressing. But I, I also just kind of – I'm always a little hesitant when you see a guy with a, a recruit of this caliber leave a school so quickly. I just kind of wonder, is there a work ethic question mark there? And, again, I'm totally speculating here. I'm not – there's no inside information here. But I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm a little bit nervous about him because I also think, if memory serves correctly, there was something kind of weird with his recruitment where he was like almost requir- requiring his older brother – Yep. Go to the same school. And I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking it here, but uh, certainly a talented player. I'll say that. And I think if, if you get the best version of him on the team, he would be a difference maker. Um, but I guess maybe I'm just a little reluctant because there's some kind of murkiness around him that maybe I'm even being a little unfair with myself right now. Um, but from a needs perspective, Matt, sure, you always take a huge guy who's a former, and I just looked it up. He wasn't, he was a five star originally and bumped down to a, a really high four star. Um, ended up being about the 50th ranked player nationally. But you, you would always take a player of that talent for sure. But um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm a little hesitant here just because I think Oregon does have some bodies on the roster to fill. We've heard really positive things about uh, Keon Ware-Hudson, Christian Williams, Brandon Dorless, Popo Amabe, four guys who can play on the interior who also have um, multiple years of eligibility left. I haven't even mentioned a guy like a Jason Jones who I think Quietly, not really hearing a lot about him, but uh, I don't necessarily think that's a negative thing. I think some of these true freshmen, they're maybe not trying to say too much before the season gets started. Yeah, right. like like I, I just – I think Oregon is in a really, really good spot right now defensively, up front, along the defensive line. They've got, they've got youth. They've got experience. They've got long-term youth. They've got more talent coming into the program. I just don't think – unless you get this transfer that you say, Hey, you know what? He's going to start in 2021. I don't know why you go after him right now. Yeah. I think, I think we're in the same spot here in terms of, especially from a space perspective. And, and again, I mean, maybe he goes Juco or something like that. And Oregon circles back around. I don't know, but my guess is he doesn't ever end up playing at Oregon. That's, that's kind of my stance. Second question from at Snyder Jordan. What are some top 2022 prospects that could end up playing for Mario Cristobal and company? Hashtag odds and audibles. And I think this is a, a timely question because as we've established here, there's not a whole lot of room left at the end in 2021. I mean, really, I mean, your Oregon here could maybe take two guys. I mean, like more than that's really pushing it. I mean, they might be timing. done. Like you could <laughs> argue they, they could be done. Yeah. And, and if that's the case, it's an even better timing in terms of trying to look at 2022. Um, Oregon does have a couple of verbal, verbal commitments. 
Virgil, I don't know what the heck I was saying there, verbal commitments <laughs> <laughs> on the books already um, that, that, that everyone's excited uh, about. Um, Andre Dollar, a tight end, and Marion Winston, a linebacker. Um, obviously, a lot of room to be had, and, and Oregon in on a lot of top 2022 20, guys. Matt, do you want to run through two or three players or, or, or how many ever players you think are notable for Oregon fans to know um, in that cycle as we are really going to start getting into that? That's going to be the meat of what we're looking at not too far down the line. Yeah, there's two receivers that I would really hone in on right now. One, Tobias Merriweather, four-star receiver from Camas High School in Vancouver, Washington area, right across the river from Portland. Um, Tobias is actually more of a duck fan than he, you know, and more connected and has been, uh, and is actually closer to the university of Oregon than he is to Seattle. So even though he lives in the state of Washington, um, he is more surrounded by the Oregon atmosphere than the Husky atmosphere because he lives in Camas, Washington and goes to union high school just outside of Vancouver. Um, Vancouver is a very, it, it's a weird city. It, it's got Cougars. It's got Huskies. It's got a huge uh, contingent of duck fans in there. Um, and so he, he is a Washington kid that doesn't necessarily have uh, you know, he's not fully immersed and surrounded by a culture that's UW, 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 UW. Uh, Tobias is also good friends with multiple Oregon commits in the 2021 class played on the same F FSP team. So that's one guy I would look at top 100 recruit, six foot four receiver. Another guy, he is Darius Clemens. He's a four-star receiver, 6'3", 128th best player in the country. He plays his prep football at Pleasant Grove, Utah, but that's because he's originally from the Portland, Oregon area. He transferred this year to play his junior year in the fall uh, in, in Utah and then is expected to transfer back to Portland for his senior season because in the state of Oregon, they're playing prep football in the spring with the hope of them playing again in the fall and, and just he didn't want to deal with that schedule and the time crunch of that. So he transferred schools for the year. We'll see if he comes back to the state of Oregon, but both guys have offers from Oregon. Both guys are extremely high uh, on the Oregon ducks. I think another name to watch for AJ Duffy pro style, four-star quarterback from Rancho Verde uh, high school in, in Southern California, very high on Oregon, you know, top 100 caliber type dude, six, uh, two, Malik Murphy is another four-star. Uh, he's a five-star quarterback, excuse me, uh, from from Gardena, California, SoCal. Two receivers there I would keep your, your eyes on. And, you know, offensively up front along the offensive line, I think um, – and, and there's a lot of other guys that I, I'm glossing over, but I, I don't really want to run through everybody. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think the state of Washington has – more than a handful of players in 2021, excuse me, 2022, um, two offensive tackles that I would look at. Josh Connerly, top 60 player in the country from Rainier Beach. Malik Agbo from, from Federal Way, uh, two massive human beings, two guys that are very high on Oregon, have already been on campus before, have, have seen the Oregon program up close and personal. Uh, the Ducks have, have recruited both those guys really hard already. Um, a couple other guys defensively to watch for. Uh, I think Cyrus Moss from Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas is, is a dude to watch. You know, top 50 defensive end, uh, can really play off the edge and uh, is a standout player there. Defensive tackle, um, you know, Oregon's trying to, to trying to find some guys out there and, and see if they can find, you know, a, 
a, a big guy in the middle. Um, we'll, we'll see if, if someone pops up. I think Curtis Neal is uh, from North Carolina. is certainly someone to watch, Six foot one, 290. We'll see what happens there with, with him. Um, you also look across, you know, into the second and third levels of the defense, and you know, they've already got a commitment from Amarion Winston, you know, Lamar Winston's younger brother. Um, I, I look at the secondary and, and think, okay, well, who who's here? What can what can Oregon do, and can they find anybody to to really, you know, continue the the run that they're doing with you know finding elite players? I think safety and cornerback will be positions that are really big for Oregon in, in that class, and um, you know, they've got some offers out to multiple players uh, for those position groups. And, and then, you know, I really like going in and, and looking at the athlete, I guess, description for players. Um, Jaleel Tucker, six foot, can play all over the place. He, he's high on Oregon. Um, you know, the four-star player that's you know, out of Southern California, San Diego, top 150 recruit. Uh, really high on, on the Ducks as well. So, you know, I, I think, Eric, I just ran through a bunch of names. Um, I think the overwhelming theme, though, for Oregon is they're in a position where they can go out and things go correctly. They sign a top five recruiting class again. Like, they're involved with enough guys to do that. They're involved. Uh, you know, they're going to have a class that's big enough to, to be able to pull that off. And it's just going to become, you know, can they sign the best class they possibly can? And if they do, it's going to be a top five class. You know, Cristobal often talks about, I guess, elevating the standard every year on the field. And from a recruiting perspective, you get to a point here where it's like, how can they even elevate it anymore? Right. Uh, I mean, and I say that sort of facetiously, but I mean, obviously they're going to continue to try to go out and get like the guys Matt just ran through these four and five star talents that are, everybody you know in those regions of the country are after and I guess it almost gets to a point here of where what is the expectation going into the 2022 class and beyond is it is it really going to be it needs to be the number one class in the conference or bust does it need to be top five or bust and again I'm, I mean expectations are kind of funny when regarding recruiting because it's so volatile trying to predict it but I do think we're getting to a place here where it really does feel like if this is if, if in 2022 it's like the 13th ranked class in the country and let's say it's third behind Washington has a, some good players up there and, and USC I think people are going to be disappointed and and that's what the point you're getting to here and I, and I say that just to, to just to kind of point to the context of like Oregon could have quote unquote a down year recruiting into next right. year and still sign like the sixth best class in, in school history so I mean, that's where you're headed. And, and that's the exciting thing, right? I mean, it's like, it's even, even a quote unquote, like not your best year is a year that almost every other school in the conference would die to have, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's where it's like, that's where you've reached kind of the pinnacle for Oregon recruiting um, where you're, you're maybe you're, you're, you're in a position where 99% of college football would take your class. Like, exactly. And, and, and so you get to the point, that's where you want to be, where, yes, you may not be number one, you may not be number two, you may not be number three, you may not be number four, you may not even be number five in the country or six, but you've, you've accumulated such uh, an impressive class that everyone else in the conference wants what you have. And 95, 98, 99% of college football wants the class that you have. And I mean, let's just look at 2021 for an example, you know, Oregon 
right now holds 23 verbal commitments. They're third in the country, but you and I sit here and, and have said time and time again, they're probably not going to finish third. They're probably going to finish more like sixth or seventh because they probably won't go above 25 where some schools may go 25, 26, 27. You've got a couple of schools like Alabama, Ohio state, Clemson that are always going to sign like five or, or four, five-star recruits. Oregon's currently got one five-star. Wouldn't be a surprise if they end up with two, maybe three, um, but they're not going to go over that. And, you know, those other three schools will probably go over th- having three five-stars. But you look at this class and think, okay, let's just say they finish seventh. Every school in the Pac-12 is going to want Oregon's recruiting class because they have more four-stars. They have the same amount of four-stars right now committed in 2021 as the other 11 schools in the Pac-12. Like that's, or excuse me, the other 10, you, you take out USC. Right. Uh, but you take out USC, 10 schools in the Pac-12 have as many four-star commitments combined as what Oregon has right now. Like every school in the Pac-12 outside of Oregon wants their class. And that's kind of the goal is to, to build a class every single year in which you are by and far better than your competition because that's what's happened from a, from a small, from a bigger scale you know, grow it out, bro, you know, make it a big picture type deal. That's what's happened between Clemson and that's what's happened with Alabama. And you can almost kind of argue Georgia is in there as well is and Ohio state, those four schools, their talent is just far superior than everybody else's. And it's because every single year, those four schools are like in the top seven or eight in the recruiting rankings they're signing a majority of the class's best players and you stack that year on the year and you, the talent gap widens. We're starting to see that at Oregon. And that's the goal now for the, for Mario Cristobal is, okay, you've created a talent gap. You have, a, there's a big difference between you and whoever is second in the pack 12. Now, can you continue to grow that every single year? Because if you do, you just dominate. Yeah. And this is going to be my last point kind of ties into what you were just saying there before we move on to the third question is, is I, I just pulled up the, we have this pretty cool feature on two, four, seven, where it's the, the actual team composite. It's all the five-star, four-star, three-star recruits um, on each of the rosters. And USC is still in, entering the 2020 season has edged Oregon by a scotch, but by 2021, the way Oregon's recruiting, and I know USC has got a good class, um, but all the players they retain, uh, you're going to see Oregon, I think, in 2021 pretty clearly be the most talented roster in the conference. And that's the trajectory that you develop, and that's the positioning that you create for yourself when you, again, like you, Matt just said, you stack class after class after class with all these four- and five-star talents. And, again, that's what makes this all so exciting. And I know this was kind of a belabored that went off on all sorts of fun stuff there, but the 2022 class is going to be a lot of fun, and I think there's potential for it to kind of be what these last couple of classes have been program changing classes that, that just continue this trend of, of all this elite talent coming to Eugene. All right. Third question from at Kaufman Luke, who has bigger expectations on defense this year, the freshmen, Justin Flo, Dante Manning, Noah Sewell, or the sophomores, Mikhail Wright, Verona Kinley, and Kayvon Thibodeau. The incoming 2020 class has lots of hype. So I feel as they might have more eyes on them than previous classes. Hashtag got some audibles. I love this question. It's a good question. Um, and, and just to kind of adjust it slightly, I think we should include Mace Funa rather than Verona McKinley um, for the sophomores. Cause those guys, those three, the right uh, Funa and Thibodeau were all uh, part of that 2020 class as opposed to, or sorry, the 2019 class. Um, whereas McKinley redshirted, but 
I uh, think all- it still makes sense to include him, though. Okay, well, we'll include him either way, but I just wanted to include Foon in there because I think he, sure, he naturally sure. deserves to be included. Um, here, well, it's in, you can look at this a couple of different ways, but I guess if I'm just looking at who am I expecting to have bigger contributions in, immediately in 2020, uh, it's going to be the sophomores because the guys that I just ran through, and you include Mace Funa, all four of those guys are, are going to be starters this year, and all four of those guys are arguably are, are amongst the best players of the position groups, right? Like Mikhail Wright is certainly one of the best defensive backs. Same with Verone McKinley. Kayvon Thibodeau's the most talented defensive player I think you have on the roster. And I think Mace Funa, you can make an argument as, well, he's, he's going to be their starting edge rush guy as the stud. Certainly one of the most talented guys kind of on that. And again, I, I, stud position is kind of a defensive lineman and a linebacker. So I don't want to say he's there, that's the first or the second level, but however you want to quantify what that position is, um, Funa's amongst the best players in that kind of, that kind of realm of, of, of where they play on defense. So, I think from like what they're going to actually do in terms of production, I would take that group. But when I find, but if you're looking at who's going to have more eyes on them and more hype, I think it's the other group because we just saw the photo of Justin Flo flexing, <laughs> just take Twitter by storm. I mean, that thing flew around like wildfires, getting texts from friends of mine asking if I'd seen it and stuff like that. I mean, it, you know, and that kind of thing blows up. We all have been, everyone's super excited about. Noah Sewell. And, and again, that's three five stars in one class, whereas the guys we were talking about before, um, one five star and Kayvon and then Wright and Funo were borderline five stars. And, and McKinley was, I think, a high three star recruit. So um, I think if you're looking at just from production, I think the sophomores, but from a just like anticipation and hype, I'd probably say the freshmen. I think the soft, I, I, one, I like, I love this question because it's, it's true. Like, so much attention. It's recency bias. We're, we're everyone's so excited to see what's new and to see who's going to show up and, and be really good um, uh, from a true freshman perspective. Uh, but I, I think we're going to see a bigger impact from the sophomores than we will from the freshmen. Um, I mean, Justin Flo. I, I don't know right now, Eric, if you can confidently say no, it's going to change. Look, depth charts always change. But I don't know if you can confidently say going into week one against Stanford in 10 days or so that Justin Flo is the second is the backup at the Mike linebacker spot or the Will linebacker spot. Excuse me. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't feel super confident in saying that. Yeah, like I, I like he's going to be on special teams. We're hearing he's, a, a, you know, very aggressive, hard hitting dude uh, and very physical, physically impressive. But we also hear a ton of how Oregon's backups, you know, are in a fight right now and for, for playing time and that it's Isaac. Sl- and, and honestly, even if he is second, is he going to beat out Isaac Slate, who was a top five, you know, tackler on last year's defense and expected to be the best player on this, you know, he's in a position to have the most impact on defense this year. Um, right. Ken right. Wilson said that, they felt like his skill set warrants his move to the will spot where Troy Dye plays, and it's uh, the position that basically has the you know the highest probability of making plays on that defense. It's the most uh, it's the most demanding position, and they've moved Isaac there, uh, so you know he's going to have to beat out Isaac to get that um, you know get on playing time. So like Flo's going to play, but I, sure. I don't think you can confidently say he's going to start right now. Um, I, I think. Noah Sewell is in a position battle with Drew Mathis. I think that one's probably more likely to see a true freshman win that job. Um, 
maybe not week one, maybe not week two, but I think probably, you know, midway point through the season, we might see a switch and, and we might not. And, but at the same time, I think you could also say the chances are that, you know, Sewell maybe makes a big jump in the next 10 days and, and wins that starting job um, as the Mike linebacker. Uh, Dante Manning, he's not going to, he's not going to start over Sierra, right? He's not going to, I mean, Sierra, right? That's a recruit. He's not going to start over Michael, right? He's not going to start over Diomede Lenore, and he's not in the nickelback, you know, starting position either. So over Jamal, that's where Jamal Hill is. So that's and that's two. Um, I just I I I think there are different levels of impact. I think the freshmen are going to show up, and they're going to be the depth guys. They're going to be the guys that elevate the depth, that make you know your second unit more like a first unit, and your first unit's going to be pretty darn good. And doesn't that just speak to the immense talent that we were just talking about yeah. in the previous question? I mean, you've got three five stars, and we're like, I don't think any of them are going to start the season. And I, and objectively, that's the case. I mean, I just did my. Um, that's the goal. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's if you're if you're crystal ball, that's the goal for building a roster is so that yes, signing a five star is a huge deal, and it's a program changing move, and it's one in which people are going to praise you, and these guys are going to make an impact to day one. But you want to be in a position where in which those guys just don't automatically start right away because you have so much talent, right. You know, already in, in the wings that they've got to show up and they've got to beat somebody out. That's older and, and just as good, if not more talented, that should be the goal. And that's kind of what Oregon's getting uh, closer to being able to accomplish with their recruiting. Yeah. And I just did my predicting this, the starting too deep on Monday and I didn't have any of those guys locked in as starters. I had Noah Sewell as an or with Drew Mathis, at the Mike linebacker, and I had Justin Flo as, as a backup at will. I do think you can consider an MJ Cunningham. Another true freshman, Jackson LaDuke, I think is also working there and, and drawing some, some high praise. I think those are sort of the candidates behind um, behind Isaac Slade, Matt Dautia, and, and we both are very confident he's going to start. And Dante Manning is somebody who, yeah, like you established, he's not going to start above Wright or, or, or Lenore. He's going to be probably their maybe their fourth corner. I mean, DJ James may be somebody we see on the field more than Dante Manning this year. So, um it's a, again like it's a sign of, of immense health on this defense when you can bring in three five stars in one class and not just immediately write them in as starters immediately um and that's where Oregon's at right now it's it's uh it's something that takes it takes getting used to because gosh even four or five even two or three years ago you bring in these three guys and it's like oh that guy's gonna start at inside linebacker that guy's starting at inside linebacker and that's one of our starting corners that's not the case right now and it's, it's what you want. And it's not saying that these guys aren't going to be good football players, aren't going to make them, you know, lasting impact for Oregon. It's just you've got immense depth. You've got immense talent on the roster. And it's where you want to be. All right, three questions in, uh, three more to go. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll close up the mailbag with the, th- the final three questions. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? 
You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel with me as always. We're three questions in, like we said. We've got three more to go to wrap up the mailbag. All right, fourth from at QuackAttack74. Do you think with this being a year that doesn't count against eligibility for any player, can you see a scenario where no player leaves this year and everyone returns for a full season next year? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. I will almost immediately say no. Um, I, I mean, it, it, the, the suggestion that like a Diomede Lenore or a Jordan Scott or an Austin Fallu or uh, Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red that they're all going to come back, I find that to be very far-fetched, that every single one of those type of players comes back and that you don't see even some of these juniors like a C.J. Verdell eyeing the NFL draft. Um, I think we will probably see a couple players utilize an extra year of eligibility. Um, off the top of my head, someone like a Hunter Campmoyer who probably doesn't have immediate NFL draft prospectus or a George Moore who maybe does have that but needs to put more you know time on film out there that somebody like that might take advantage of it but I, I find it really hard to believe that some of these guys especially somebody like Diomde Lenore who opted out and then opted back in that he's going to say I'm going to use another year at Oregon um, I don't know does that smell fishy to you Matt or do you kind of agree um, well I don't think like Lenore is going to come back I don't think uh, like a guy I'm trying to think like who else would be a senior that could justify coming back uh, that wouldn't justify coming back like Pickett like I don't think Pickett you know, yes another one like, like what's he gonna prove he, he it's not like coming back you know for 2021 is to get him more film you know like he's exactly. been a three and a half year starter already you know like what, what, what's gonna change for him there um now, like a guy like George Moore, like yeah, if George Moore comes back and has a very strong year, but NFL scouts say, "Hey, look, we think you're really good, um, but we need to see another year from this consistently." And if and if you do come back for which would be like his seventh year of college football, it, uh, but it, it, if, by the way, it literally would be his seventh year of college football. <laughs> literally, would be seven. <laughs> but if he comes back uh, and and does it again, he maybe he elevates himself to like being a fourth or or a third round draft pick. Whereas maybe it's he's seventh round at best. Um, you know, after a strong year as a senior, um, that could justify coming back. Maybe it's a like I, I think the two one the two guys that have perhaps the the, the toughest decision in my eyes, Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red. Mm-hmm. Like like both guys have played a ton. But I don't know if necessarily they can really enhance their draft profiles a ton. But at the same time, if they have a huge year, which would be the second in the system, you would think year two under Shuck, the offensive line, everything would be better. Maybe they have just an insane statistical year in which it's, oh, wow, we got to draft this guy in the fifth or sixth round. Whereas I don't know if they even get drafted in 2020, 20, excuse me, 2021. And I'm trying to think here, like obviously Oregon's going to extend that opportunity to everybody. But part of me wonders if, especially with those two receivers you mentioned, is Oregon going to kind of also say, boy, we have like a ton of crazy talent. We, we've ran through this in previous podcasts. They're going to have like 10 of this, potentially 10 of the 16 highest rated receiver recruits in program history on next year's roster. 
does it help them really to have Johnny Johnson and Jalen? I mean, I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it's their team's going to be worse, but it, there's probably also an argument to be made for those two. If you're Oregon, of we'd actually almost rather play some of these younger guys more next season. And, I, and, I, and I'm not taking anything away from those two guys because I think I'm, I'm a huge Johnny Johnson fan. I've been since he came here. I think Jalen Red's really explosive. Um, I think both those guys have been super beneficial players. I mean, I, I was just looking at their stats earlier today. They both have almost 100 career receptions. Both have multiple or uh, double-digit touchdown catches. Over, um, Johnson has over a thousand yards. Red's almost there for his career. These are very highly, these are highly productive players. But I also think there's like an argument for would, or, would it almost be beneficial for Oregon to to have a little bit of uh, I guess just some openings at those spots rather than it's the you know it's it's Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, and Michael Pittman locked in as starters next year, um, and now you've got you know Troy Frank, and and, and that's not a terrible problem to have, but. Um, that might push some players out of the program quicker than you'd like. Cause I guess the point I wanted to make. With that. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird dynamic. Like obviously you would, Hey, Mario Cristobal, do you want another year with Jalen red and Johnny Johnson who are immensely talented, uh, have a ton of experience, ultimate team players, culture guys yep. are going to make your program better. But at the same time, and Oh, and it comes at no cost. Like the scholarship, is it doesn't eat into your 85 next year. It's just an extra year for those two guys. Uh, you're, you're not in trouble to have them. You don't have to, you know, eat a scholarship in the 2021 class to have them on for one year. It's just a, a, a free year. You, you get to add these two guys with the same, you know, free of cop free. You know, there's, there's no, no impact, negative impact of adding these guys from a roster makeup perspective. Um, but at the same time, it's like, boy, we sold that, Troy Franklin and that uh, Dante Thornton and Isaiah Bravard and Ware Hudson, that these guys would be gone and that they would have an opportunity to start. And that could maybe shift some dynamics here a little bit. And like, it's a weird deal. Like it's a good thing, but at the same time makes things more complicated. Yeah. I think, I think it's going to be really fascinating by the way, to see how this plays out. And, you know, if I'm honest, I think, that sort of rule probably benefits some of the lesser programs in the conference that have guys that are don't have huge NFL draft ceilings who are somewhat productive college players, like a school, like a, maybe an Oregon state or a Colorado or a Washington state that maybe has, and I'm just throwing those names out without really thinking about individual players in those rosters. But you know, if you have a couple guys where it's like, this guy's been a three-year starter at, at right guard, um, he's not going to be drafted. He, he's going to, if he play, if he goes professional, maybe he's a practice squad guy at best. Maybe, maybe those are the guys that come back as opposed to Oregon where you have a lot of these guys with, with legitimate NFL draft aspirations. So I think it's going to help the depth certainly around the conference. Um, I just kind of wonder if, if, if this is something that really benefits Oregon as much as it does some of these other schools. All right, fifth question from at Josh Harden underscore four. Bringing this question back from a few weeks ago, does Justin Herbert's success solidify the indictment of Marcus Arroyo and his May offense? Can we finally confirm Royal held him back. Hashtag Otson or Audibles. Um, I don't want to use the word confirm because I don't. I, I don't know. I think, I think that that usually like requires some sort of objective judgment to be made. But I think subjectively, I will say, now having watched what Justin Herbert's done in the NFL, and I know Matt and I addressed this previously with um, the UNLV offense that had a hard time, and we talked about some the reasons why they had limited practices and scrimmages before their first game, but that did not look like a very explosive offense. And I think you combine those two pieces of information, those two data points of Justin Herbert looks, we talked about the other show, a potential 10, 15 year NFL starter, a potential cornerstone in the NFL. 
And Marcus Soro's offense at UNLV looks pretty crappy. doesn't look very good at all. And you combine those things and think, boy, there's probably some validity to that point. But I don't want to use the word confirm because I, I think that maybe is too strong. But I, I certainly – let's put it this way. I, I, I'm leaning that that's probably not an unfair statement. Oh, boy. Like – <laughs> I think you and I have privately had this discussion. Like at what point are other schools going to recruit against Oregon in a negative manner for quarterbacks by don't go to Oregon. Look how good Herbert is in the NFL and look what he did in college. Um, I, I, I don't, I, I think this is, this is the best way to sum it up. Herbert looked a lot better at Oregon than he did at Sheldon high school because he was playing with better football players. Mm -hmm. Herbert looks a hell of a lot better with the Los Angeles Chargers than he did with the Oregon Ducks because he's playing with a hell of a lot better football players around him. Mm -hmm. I think this is a case in which Herbert is maximizing his talents because he now has the best athletes around him and hasn't played with this level of an athlete before. No offense to two guys I was just praising, Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red, but they are not Keenan Allen. They are not Mike Williams. They are not Guyton. Um, they're tight ends for the Chargers. Virgil Green, Parnham, Hunter Henry. I can't believe Hunter Henry was the third guy I named. Uh, <laughs> well, it, by the way, it says a lot that he is the third one because they have all this depth. Yeah, and like, like those guys – and the tight ends that Oregon has right now don't hold a candle to the, what the chargers have. So I think this is a case in which Herbert was really good at Oregon, but he only could do so much because of what was around him. And now that he's with the chargers, he's being able to go full extent. That being said, I do wish we did see more aggressive Oregon with Justin Herbert take more shots down the football field. They had an elite offensive line to protect him. Maybe the receiving core wasn't what we all expected it to be for the Ducks, but nonetheless, let your quarterback go. I think that's the issue for me was that like the Chargers are okay with throwing it on second and long. They're, when they're okay on throwing it on third and short or third and long. Um, you know, they're okay throwing it on first down. They're okay taking deep shots. They're okay being very aggressive with the ball. And it felt like with Herbert at Oregon, at, at Oregon, there was some concern of like, let's, let's play it safe. Let's run the football. We don't maybe have the best athletes at receive. Let's not put those guys in a position that they can't, you know, excel. Let, let's just be safe. And that's my issue is, and, and maybe, Maybe that changes with the coordinator change. Maybe that changes with recruiting advancements and improvements along the offense. Um, the last, you know, the last couple of seasons now going into 2020. But nonetheless, I, I do think you have to at least wonder, like, why did we not say this at Oregon? And actually, the time of this question is great because uh, CBS Sports, uh, Chris Traprasso, who does a great job covering uh, the NFL, uh, actually just posted a story analyzing and some of the data between. Herbert's time with the Chargers and uh, his time at Oregon, and, and has some. We just you just mentioned the um, the way that the Chargers are more open to throwing more frequently, and, and the data is pretty clear here. And you can go check this. It, it, we actually have it posted on our on our site, Duck Territory. Um, I recommend giving it a look if you're curious on this topic. But uh, on third and long at Oregon, they ran it 21 percent of the time last year, 
the Chargers have run at 6% of the time. On second long, Oregon ran at 44% of the time. Chargers run at 32% of the time. On first and 10, 61% of the time they're running it at Oregon. The Chargers, they ran at 54% of the time. So just like across the board, they're being more aggressive and, and, and trusting Justin Moore um, to throw the football um, on, you know, in, in downs where it's pretty clearly a throwing down, right? Like third and long, you'd imagine you wouldn't be running it very frequently, but Oregon only threw it on less than 80% of those downs. So um, that kind of backs up a little bit of kind of what the question's getting at. And, and again, I, I don't, I really hate being the guy who sits here and throws a, 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 you know, a former coordinator or a former coach under the bus. I, I don't want to be that person. Um, but I do think that there seems to be some validity. And I know everybody kind of senses while I was going on, um, but there does seem to be some validity that maybe Marcus Arroyo's offense didn't maximize. And, and, and I think Matt brings up a great point about the talent around him too. But he wasn't able to be fully maximized at Oregon during his time here. And I'll be curious to see um, the further we get into Justin Herbert's career at Oregon, the more we see of Marcus Arroyo at UNLV. And it's not totally fair to try to draw any conclusions based on his very first game as a head coach, given the circumstances that we ran through earlier. Um, but there's certainly... It, it, it begs some questions and it's something to keep an eye on going forward. I'll say that. Now, like the bigger, the bigger, like what if for me or question or, or if like we want to be critical is how did Oregon not sell to recruits specifically receivers, tight ends and running backs that like they weren't at Oregon, Willie Taggart, or let's, let's start off with this. Before Helfrich got fired to Mark Helfrich and then to Willie Taggart and then to Mario Cristobal could not sell to a receiving core, to, to, to receivers or tight ends and running backs, come play two or more years with Justin Herbert at quarterback. Like, like they got a, a, a very, very solid positive group of receivers in 2019 um you, you go back and you look at their commit list for for that one and it includes you know micah Pittman in 2019 uh four-star receiver top 100 pr you know prospect lance wilhoyt is another four-star guy that committed to the ducks sean dollars is a four-star receiver or running back excuse me patrick herbert justin herbert's younger brother no 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 hard sell there uh to, <laughs> yeah <laughs> to, to get him um but it it really took three years of justin herbert to you know to go out and start landing some big time guys you know jalen hall didn't pan out he pulled out of the program and ended up getting arrested um, Isaiah Crocker was a four-star top 200 guy and just hasn't done anything in his three years at Oregon. Spencer Webb was a redshirt freshman for the Ducks in 2019 and had some decent moments, um, but really hasn't capitalized. Brian Addison as a redshirt freshman last year, uh, promise, but again, wasn't a guy that, that you sat and said, this is going to be a dude that's you know a superstar right away. Um, and, and so I go back to like, the 2018 class, like just real quick, go over this and say like how at, at the receiver position could Oregon and, and you go out and they look at who they offered and like Jalen Waddle from Alabama, um, Devin Williams is now at Oregon, you know, but they couldn't get him on campus right away. Um, you continue down the list of guys that Oregon had, you know, decent chances with. Obviously, Jalen Hall didn't 
pan out. Warren Thompson at Florida State didn't pan out. Chase Cota, and it's, you know, the Oregon legacy. Anthony Schwartz, four-star, you know, receiver from he plays for Auburn out of Florida. Um, mm-hmm. You you go down the list a little bit more, and uh, you'll find some other guys like uh, Kyle Phillips or Miles Battle, who was committed to the Ducks at one point. Um, you know, there were a lot of names in that 2018 class that they could have gotten that they couldn't just maximize and 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 land. I think the 2017 class maybe is a little bit unfair to you know to to really critique because coaching change. Uh, between Helfrich and Willie Taggart. But nonetheless, like Joseph Lewis, uh, Ty John Lindsay, obviously Lindsay hasn't really done much, but you know, that was a big time guy. Uh, Jalen Rager, TCU, Osiris St. Brown. Um, Oliver Martin was a big name that really liked Oregon. He, he went to Michigan. Um, Ty Jones at UW, uh, Isaiah Hodgins, from you know Walnut Creek, and he went to OSU, and you know went pro as a junior. Um, there's just a long list of guys that you just sit here and wonder, like, how could they have not capitalized on when Herbert was a reg when, when Herbert was a freshman and when Herbert was a sophomore? It, it took them all the way up until their senior year to go out and try and get some guys to play, you know, to play with him. And I think it, if they've been able to do that, been able to go out and find some guys you know, some high level recruits to come in and play with Herbert for a couple of years. We wouldn't be talking about this. And I hate them. Went down a van, you know, rabbit hole, but then I had had to get it off. I like, I liked it. And I actually was just going to say, I hate to say this, but Willie Taggart actually did a pretty good job. I know they didn't sign, but of getting these four star wide receiver commitments, you ran through some of them, but um, Warren Thompson, Treshawn Harrison, Braden Lindsay, um, Michael Izeki was a tight end slash wide receiver, Miles Battle. Uh, all those guys were four-star wide receivers slash tight ends that were committed to Oregon before he left. We should note Colson Yankoff was also at one time, and the reason he was at one time an Oregon commit. And the only reason I bring him up is he's just um, apparently he's a better receiver than a quarterback because UCLA <laughs> just moved to receiver. Uh, but that's besides the point because that was that was even an earlier decommitment. That was after the Helfrich decision. But um, but you're right in terms of the talent level wasn't wasn't what it needs to be, and and that's what's going to be a thing where don't be totally surprised if Tyler Shuck doesn't have a little bit better production once all of this receiving core kind of gets figured out at Oregon because the talent that he's going to have at receiver, I think at tight end with what they've landed in 2021 um, and some of the guys in the roster now is going to be, I think, quite significantly better than what Justin Herbert dealt with um, during his time here. So, And that's a big reason why I think Shuck's going to be maybe statistically better than Herbert because the talent will be a lot better th- around him. Yeah, I'm not expecting that from day one this year, but I think I'll put it this way: I think Tyler Shuck's best year at Oregon is probably going to be statistically more impressive than Justin Herbert's, and it's going to be a combination of the talent, and I think also a combination of of playing in Joe Moorhead's offense, which I'm really excited to see um, when we get a chance to this season. All right, let's wrap the show up here. It's a basketball question, Matt. So this is going to be your question from at Dewey T Duck. Am I understanding correctly that Amari Hardy could be on the roster for the 2021-22 season? Is there any indication he'd stick around for a second year? If so, would that be a selling point for recruiting Jaden Hardy? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. This is a great question here. I hadn't thought about this, but if he were to come back, Hardy, for his uh, second senior year and be a super Amari senior. Hardy. Amari Hardy, yeah. If he were to come back, Jaden's his younger brother. is a five-star, top five, top six recruit nationally. 
Um, that would be very interesting to see how that would have uh, implications. He'd be certainly like one of those one and done kind of guys. Yeah, and it will improve their chances. And yes, there is a possibility that this does happen. Amari um, Hardy is, I don't know if it's, maybe he works himself into fringe NBA status, but more than likely, this is going to be a guy that's going to go overseas and make a very nice living playing overseas. I think um, the, the I, I don't know, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for here? Um the view of playing overseas has drastically improved in the last decade, I think, sure. for American players um, because it's quickly spread that there's a lot of money out there over in, in Europe and other parts of the world to play professional basketball. And, and while it's not at the NBA level, you're still making a very nice chunk of change and living a very nice lifestyle when you are home from the States and when you're also away from home playing. And so I, I think Hardy's, you know, more than likely going to be an overseas player. And there's certainly, even though that's the case, there's a lot to gain by playing an extra year at Oregon. Um, maybe he improves his stock enough where he can latch on to an NBA team um, at, and bounce between the G League and, and the NBA, much like two-way deal. You know, maybe, maybe he, he goes from playing at the B level of overseas to playing at the A level uh, over in Europe. Um, you know, by playing a senior, a second senior season at a high level, like at Oregon. And I heard that, yes, it is a possibility, you know, unfair, unsure, unknown yet, and unfair to speculate more than just that. It's a possibility. Don't know the chances of it yet. You haven't even seen him play yet. Maybe, maybe he's taken a huge step, Amari has. And, you know, it's, it becomes obvious that he shouldn't play a, a, a sixth year of college basketball. But, if he does, it will help Oregon with Jaden Hardy. Um, that the way I've understood it is in the NCAA, they have said that if you're a senior and you get that extra year of eligibility and you choose to use it, you can't. You have to use it at the institution that you're playing at. You can't just grad transfer again. Right. Um, that that's my understanding of the rule. And so Oregon would have the unique opportunity that no other school in the country would be able to say that. Hey, Jaden. The number four player in the country, combo guard, six foot four, 190 pounds, fourth best player nationally, number one combo guard in the country. Come play with your brother. We're the only school that can op- offer you that opportunity. You like Nike. You love Oregon. Uh, you, we play a style, a system that really enhances and, and lets a player of your caliber, of your style and skill set flourish. Come play with your brother and have the one opportunity that that no one else can can present to you. And, and see where it goes. Now, is that how re- how realistic is that? Um, I'm not buying it fully yet. Um, Kentucky is the favorite to land Jaden Hardy. Um, and look, when you go up against John Calipari, uh, it's a very difficult recruiting battle to lose uh, to win. Um, not saying Oregon can't do it, but right now. I would probably say a better chance that Hardy lands at Kentucky than he does at Oregon. But look, it's still a possibility. Dana Altman has won some big recruiting wins. Hardy does, you know, Oregon does have some, some cards in their hands that, you know, Kentucky simply can't play no matter how bad they want to, they can't use those cards in the recruiting play. So uh, it's certainly fun, fun to, to see play out and would be certainly an exciting development for Oregon if it does. Good job by Dewey T. Duck there and kind of putting that together. I hadn't really considered that until he brought it up. And 
boy, if you're an Oregon fan, we've already talked about how good that class could be. Um, potential to be, I mean, I already have a couple of five-star recruits in it. You add him. Um, I, I don't, I don't have him pull up the class calculator here, but I think you add those three <laughs> five stars. Is that going to be the number one class in the country? Has a shot. So, um, it, I mean, it, it, I mean, look, Oregon's basketball recruiting class right now is ridiculously good with when, when you factor in, they've got three commitments, Nate Biddle, Frank Capang and Jonathan Lawson, um, a five-star, almost near five-star, you know, Frank Capang is 27th best player in the country. And then Lawson's a three-star small forward. Uh, You need guards. And Jaden Hardy would certainly fill a big hole, you know, and give you Oregon a huge opportunity to have the best class uh, in the country. I I think they're going to be close. They're eighth right now. They're first among Pac-12 schools. Um, Altman's in a position, and, and look, I, I still feel this way regardless of Hardy or not. I think Oregon will land the number one class in the Pac-12 for, for the 2021 recruiting class. And it's pretty wild to say that because I think, Eric, Oregon football will do that. I think Oregon basketball will do that. And maybe, I mean, you, you can maybe fill me in on this one, not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but I think – the women could also be in that contention. Uh, really quickly, I just caught, uh, tried Jaden Hardy in the class calculator. That would move Oregon past Florida State for the number one class in the country, and they'd be there by about two and a half points in the composite. So that's pretty significant. Um, in 2021, you're asking for the women's basketball recruiting. Yeah, uh, like- uh, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna be a smaller class. So probably not. And I know there's a lot of five stars committed to other schools in the conference. It's because they because they had the big haul in 2020. 2021, from my understanding, is they've got the they've got Taylor Bigby, um, who's a big time recruit that she's committed and, and she'll be signing here soon. Uh, I don't think they're going to add too many more, but yeah, 2021. I don't think you can say they're going to be the number one in the conference just because they're not taking very many players. Gotcha. But nonetheless, like if it was a normal year in which they they took you know three or four guys, you know three or four recruits in this class, absolutely. They would be in contention. It's not. It's Oregon from the women's perspective. It sounds like the end of twenty twenty one. It's it's not a a quality issue. It's a it's a quantity issue. They're they're exactly. they're going to get the best some of the best players in the country. They're just not going to get enough of them. No, that's exactly where they are for the women's side. And, and you maybe you can argue just from like a by player perspective if you go through that 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 you could make that argument. Oregon just on the women's side isn't going to take enough in twenty twenty one twenty twenty two. I can already say not to get too far ahead of ourselves here because we're we're jumping all over the place from the original question, but uh, <laughs> but well, that's kind of what we've been doing all podcasts and we're having fun. This is probably one of the longer ones we've done. I just looked up and was like, it's probably almost like an hour now, but um, who cares? Uh, hopefully, hopefully everyone's listening is enjoying. But twenty twenty two is a class to look at and keep an eye on because they're in on some of the the, the real big time talents. There could probably land the number one player in the country, uh, Lauren Betts, who's another six seven center from from Colorado. So. Uh, there will be some potential for 2022 to be a really special class for the, the women's basketball recruiting perspective. If you've made it this far on the podcast, thank you. <laughs> we have gone a little long. I think we typically do. Thank you for listening. Uh, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. For Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Bream. We'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, folks. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! 
Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount+, Plus to try it free. Terms apply.